Are you ready? Because it's about to get real. Modern Pleasure Podcast answers the questions about sex that you've always wanted to ask, but didn't. So often I'll talk to physicians who say, well, I gave her testosterone, didn't really do anything. And I'll be like, well, did you also recommend that she start trying to re-wake up her erotic brain now that she can do it, now that it's been watered with some testosterone? Even if somebody gives you hormones, there still is work to be done with the relationship, with the way you think about sex, how you use your brain, but it will be so much easier. Welcome back to the Modern Pleasure Podcast with my resident expert, Dr. Jenny Schuyler. Hello. Hi, Kim. It's great to be back again. Yeah, we just had a really great conversation with Dr. Batsheva Marcus about menopause, which I never thought I could learn anything more about it because I feel like I've done all the research I could possibly do to combat that. So uh, make sure you take a listen. Um, that was a great starting episode for our new season, and we're going to bring her back in and talk a little bit more about something we touched on. We decided it was a great idea to have a part two and talk about the hormone uh, issue with sex, because obviously that's definitely something that um, we've all dealt with at one point in our lives and maybe still are if you're anything like me, like all of a sudden I'm just having a hot flash again. My God. See, this is what I don't need the jacket, Kim. Take it off. Oh, no. It's (laughs) a very, it's a very tiny little top. Okay. I think I'd rather leave it on because you know what'll happen in about two minutes. I'm going to get cold. (laughs) So just have to put it on again. But that's okay. The, the dew on my face makes me look a little bit younger and not so, so old. So I'll take that part. Um, anyway, I'd like to bring in Dr. Batsheva. And, um, you know, we're so excited to have you on this show. You are definitely somebody who's been around the block. We're really glad to have you back on in our conversation. Um, the last time uh, in our first episode um, was really very informative and I loved it. And uh, so I can't wait to dive in a little bit more. But before we do that, um, can you just... Give us a little insight on this book of yours. I want to make sure that we plug your book and um, let people know where they can find you. Okay, so the book is Satisfaction Guaranteed, How to Have Sex You've Always Wanted. Um, It is available Barnes, you know, everywhere, Amazon, Barnes, any place you buy a book. It's very exciting. If you find the book, send me a picture on social media. I love it when people send me pictures from bookstores. Um, And um, the, the entire purpose of the book is to lay out for women the classic problems that arise and the, the, the available solutions for women, be that low desire, problems with arousal, orgasms, or pain. Um, I open with a questionnaire at the beginning of the book because I feel like it's very easy for people to kind of this way answer questions and then they start getting a better sense. Is this the pain that's causing the low desire? Is the low desire actually causing the pain or are the orgasms secondary to other things? So this questionnaire should be super helpful. It gives you a little score and then you can look and then it's like choose your own adventure. It's like if you're, if the area you need to deal with is desire, try chapters 9, 12, and you know, 16. And if the area is pain, try chapters 10, 11, and 14. Um, so that's the book. And it's really meant to empower women because I really feel like with a little more information, almost every woman can have a really good, satisfying sex life. You just have to have the information and trust that you can do it. Awesome. But you have a piggybacking on your book. 
um, what, as a sex therapist, what do you wish more people would ask you? Jenny, you keep asking me these, usually people say, what do people ask you the most? I was like ready to answer that question. What do I wish people would ask me? Yeah. I wish they would be willing to just ask me. I would say that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I wish that women didn't feel so alone and isolated. Women always feel like their problem is the only, they're the only ones who've had this problem. And it's the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. And so they're hesitant to ask often. And I wish that women would be willing to raise their hands more and say, you know what? Like I, I can't orgasm. I used to be able to orgasm from his mouth. I can't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Or, um, or I'm having pain in a specific spot in my vagina and I can't figure out what that's about. Or my fantasies have shifted dramatically and now I'm feeling really embarrassed about them. You know, I just wish that people could ask. I guess I would, I'd say that, Jenny. Yeah. The courage to be curious and versus yes. just the mindset of I'm alone and broken. The courage to be curious and the, and the, trying to understand that the shame that you feel about whatever issue will be so much easier once you've talked about it. Like I always talk about shame being like, it only lives in the dark spaces. Shame can only live in the dark. If you're willing to bring things out in the light and talk about it, the shame just dissipates. So um, that I wish women would just have the courage exactly to ask. You know, it's really interesting. Um, the a number of the the subjects that we talked about in our first season. Um, I had so many people come out and say, "You are speaking my language. You are asking the questions I've always wanted to ask, and felt like I was alone. I didn't feel normal. I didn't feel like." my problem was everybody else's problem. And I think once you realize, like I think our first episode last season was that narrative that we've all been, you know, we all bought into that makes us feel like we're not normal when there really isn't any such thing. And that to me was extremely freeing. And we got a lot of response from women who were just like, wow, this, this was an eye opening discussion. And so I think you're right. Just ask, just don't feel like this is an isolated issue because it certainly is not. So in that vein, Kim, I want to respond to your hot flashes. <laughs> <laughs> Please because do. Because no woman today should have to suffer with hot flashes, period. And you have one arm tied behind your back, as we've discussed, Kim, because you can't take your doctor doesn't feel like you can take systemic estrogen. Mm -hmm. And I think we should have to have a conversation about estrogen. For anybody listening who's heading into perimenopause, menopause, estrogen was demonized for many years. Like, oh, my God, it's not safe. It's going to give you stroke. It's going to give you breast cancer. It is That is just so untrue. And if you want to explore this more. The best book out there, I love my book. I think everybody should own my book, but the best book out there on estrogen is a book called Estrogen Matters. Hmm. It is hands down, far and away, by far the best book I've ever read on estrogen. It gives you some history about why it was so demonized. It explains how it works. And then it, it, it outlines what it's good for. And the truth is that I really believe that if you can take estrogen, and most women can, it is so vital because your body's losing it as you get older. It just naturally, as you hit perimenopause and menopause, and that is what causes your your vagina is the first one to feel it because your vagina is extremely hormonally mediated. But your 
brain and your bones and, you know, that brain fog that we talk about, right? Yeah. Bones getting more brittle, hair, skin, all of those things are deeply, deeply affected by estrogen levels. And so if you can take estrogen and it's, it's like magic with the hot flashes, like magic with the hot flashes. However, Kim, I want to say something to you, which is that there are other options for hot flashes as well if you can't take estrogen. So- well, if you um, tell me that I have to stop drinking wine and eat chocolate, that's not going to happen. So. Wait, if I tell you you have to stop, start eating chocolate? No, have to stop. Head? Stop. That's what everybody says. Well, you just no. need to stop drinking no. red wine no. and chocolate. Yes, then what is life worth? Living? Yeah, right. Let's just be honest here. <laughs> but no, but um, there are other medications that are being used for hot flashes. Like they're low-dose SSRIs, like Effects or Lexapride, I whatever they're they're marketed as a different thing but they're like mini doses of the anti-anxiety medication that seems to work on the nervous system and calm down the hot flashes interesting Um, there's some herbal remedies too which can be more or less like black cohosh there's definitely some things out there yeah but for sure there are medications that can be extremely effective for your hot flashes and hot flashes can have a real impact on you know we joke around about it like you're hot take the jacket off you get cold but you know when you have them at night and they disturb your sleep and you wake up drenched and you have to change your clothes or yeah. like you you're not sleeping well because of them those are real right those are real and um women shouldn't have to walk around with hot flashes and if you're somebody who can use estrogen oh my god it's like you know sometimes like when we'll we can talk about testosterone and how long that actually takes to function to work in a woman but estrogen and hot flashes it's like two weeks we're talking really yes yes so but sheva while we're here on that then because i i know that maybe an older school of thinking around hormone replacement therapy and cancer has existed. The Women's Health Initiative did studies. They are being challenged and debunked in different um, areas, which is great. Can you speak a little bit to the stigma of hormone replacement therapy um, and why you fi- and why you find it important? Um, yeah. So what happened was that in nineteen, I don't even remember the years anymore, but probably about twenty years ago, mm-hmm. the Women's Health Initiative. Before that doctors were giving out estrogen like it was M&Ms, right? Like they thought estrogen helped with, for all the things I'm saying, helped with bones. They thought it would help with women have lower um, heart attack rates. And they were just standardly putting every woman on estrogen. Well, and in my Um, mom's case, she had an early hysterectomy and they put her on Premarin, like high doses of Premarin. Okay, so that's what I was about to say. So the Women's Initiative did a study on, and it was a huge worldwide study on estrogen, it was an extremely flawed study on many ways, but the first reason it was sponsored by Premarin and they put one on Premarin. Premarin is not a bioidentical estrogen. It's, it's made out of horse urine. Yeah. So, um, so that's number one. And number, there's so many flaws in this. I can't possibly go through it. Look at the book. The book does a, a stupendous job, but the bottom line was all of a sudden these results came out, which seemed like they were more, progesterone related than estrogen related. And there was this shock wave. Oh my God, women are going to have more breast, uh, breast cancer. Women are going to have more strokes. And so gynecologists yanked the estrogen. I remember my mom having the estrogen yanked from her and she was like 70 years old and she started bleeding, right? Like she'd been on estrogen for like 20 years and like, oh my God. Anyway, so I had flashes, like all these women were being hurled into this like dramatic menopause after years. The same, my mom. Yep. Exactly. It was, uh, and it was unfortunately like, so because you know one of the things about the study, as I understand it, it's 
flawed statistically. It's it was it, it was so flawed statistically. Yeah. It was there was so much bias going into this study, and it was a weird combination of drugs that they were using. So, um, so now once they had a chance to actually back up, look at the statistics, do some further studies, all of this stuff is being debunked. But the problem is, whenever you demonize something in the medical community, it takes generations. Sometimes you have yeah. to wait till all those doctors die out until the new ones come in because mm -hmm. they study medicine at a certain point and that gets basically calcified into their medical treatment. And so, um, you know, you see this in psychiatry also. There's certain drugs that just, you know, like the tricyclics, which are extremely effective, but people think of them as dangerous. So, um, so estrogen really did get demonized. But I, I, I also want to say when you, you say hormone replacement therapy, when I talk about testosterone, for example, that's not hormone replacement therapy, right? Hormone replacement therapy, I want to get people's terminology correct, mm. is specifically estrogen replacement. Like that hormone replacement therapy, as it is used culturally in our medical system, is estrogen replacement or estrogen tr treatment. Not um, including progesterone or testosterone. Estro no, estrogen, you always have to give, assuming you still have a uterus, you always have to take progesterone with estrogen, right? Mm -hmm. Just so that people understand why. Because what estrogen does, it puts you back in a situation where you might build up blood in your uterine lining like you were premenopausal, right? Like every month you got your period because you would build up blood in your uterine lining and then you would shed the blood when the estrogen level dropped. So um, what has to, you can't keep building up blood in your uterine lining because that could cause uterine cancer. So you need to have some, so either people cycle where you actually get off your um, estrogen and get on progesterone or add progesterone in, or you just take progesterone every single day at the same time and then it stops the blood from building up in the uterine lining. Um, and it also often works as a sleep aid for women. Right. But again, um, the progesterone they used in the study was not bioidentical. So there were all kinds of weird things going on in women's bodies. Does that clarify? Yeah. Yeah. And then in terms of testosterone, if it's not hormone replacement therapy, it's certainly hormone therapy. Exactly. Hey, don't go anywhere. After the break, Dr. Batsheva tells us where the best place to put that hormone cream is. So confusing, right? Is it your arm, your leg, behind your knee, in your vajayjay? We're going to find out. So testosterone is a is sort of a newer one on the block. So I would say the last 20, 25 years, we've been you know using testosterone with them. People always thought of testosterone as being a male hormone, right? Testosterone is men. Men have testosterone. Women have estrogen. Well, that's oversimplified. Men have estrogen and women have testosterone. They have approximately a tenth of what the men have, but it's really, really important for your libido. <laughs> like that's what we've discovered. Essential. Yeah. Essential. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And that also just goes down as you get older. And for some women, that is more of a problem than other women. And it's the same thing with like birth control pills. When you go on birth control pills, there's some women who do fine. And then there's some women who find that their libido crashes. Um, they, they don't feel touch. I have women talk to me about the fact that like, it feels like there's a slip cover on their skin, right? So why is that? That's because different people have different receptors for hormones and that they can sort of catch the hormones better or worse. So some women are going to really feel that drop in testosterone. And even for women who cannot take estrogen, testosterone is usually a hundred percent viable and, you know, available, you know, you know, a 
you can take est- testosterone. You can doctors will give it to you if if they know. With testosterone's new again, it's like doctors often feel just uncomfortable because they don't get it exactly. They don't know. They don't understand. But over the last, I would say, twenty years, there's been more and more evidence that testosterone can be incredibly effective for. I call it the base coat paint for your libido, for your wanting to have sex, for your arousal, for your ability to get turned on, and for your orgasms. Totally. Do you find that there's a difference between pellet, shot, cream, and I'll throw it in there, if you apply it to your body, does it matter? The real estate patch of your body, face, neck, clitoris. Um, okay. Can you speak to all that? Yeah, that's a, yes. that was always a real confusing. It's like, okay, I've got it. Where do I put it? Okay, so I'm going to say all this, but I do want to say all of this is in my book. The estrogen, the testosterone, it's all in the book. So if somebody's listening and they're like, whoa, too much information, and you're talking too fast, Bacheva, you're a New Yorker, then they can go back to the book. Okay. (laughs) So all of those work, okay? Patches, shots, and um, and not not patches, um, topicals, Mm -hmm. shots, or pellets. I've never heard of pellets. What are pellets? Yeah, you pop it. Think of a Tic Tac, something that looks like a Tic Tac, yeah. and they make a little tin, tiny incision in your butt, and they just pop it in there. And then you have it in there for three months. It's a slow release into your system. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of pellets. I'll just I'm, put that I am there. learning so much. I mean, first in the last episode, it was di- dilators. Di- dilators and now pellets. Dilators in the vagina, pellets in the butt. Okay, we're <laughs> yeah. good. I got it. Yeah, okay. So... um so you, classically, doctors will give women a gel of testosterone. Classically, they'll give her way too little. That's all I'm going to say. Like doctors are nervous. They don't know dosages. And so they will give a woman too little to have an effective dose. Mm-hmm. Um, so standard, the International Society for Women's Sexual Health says five milligrams. That tends to be like the starting dose. I will tell you when, when I worked at the medical center I worked at, we often started with seven milligrams. We'd go up to 10 milligrams and we keep an eye on the women's blood levels and they were doing fine. Um, so you can use the creams. The creams work great, but you have to remember to use them and they're a little irritating. So everybody's a little different. Like I, I, I don't like going, like I don't like having to put ointments on every day like that. I just find that irritating, but I'm not, I don't have a problem having a little procedure and having a pellet put in once every three months. I personally rather that. The pellets seem to go in, um, have a really good impact quickly, and most women didn't react badly to them. But a lot of women kind of feel like they want to start with the gel to make sure that they're comfortable with it because once the pellet's in, it's in for three months, right? Um, where you put it, usually we would tell people to put it on their thigh or their leg, a place where you don't mind getting a little bit of hair growth because the side effects of testosterone are, everybody's like, oh my God, what are the side effects? So Mm -hmm. the side effects of testosterone are, um, hair growth on the site where you're putting it. Sometimes a little acne, if you are prone to acne, think teenagers, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes clitoral enlargement when you've been on it for a long time and have a high dosage. Those really are the, and theoretically it could convert into estrogens, but we're, nobody, nobody's really no. seen that. That's a theoretical concern. Yeah. Um, I so, felt like I just got agitated easily for some reason. It was like very, ugh, but I'm very sensitive to all kinds of that stuff, you know, hormone stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. So what, what were you, how were you putting, how were you using, Kim? How were you it using was, that? It was in a cream, uh, 
it was a it, they added the testosterone it was a to the progesterone estrogen they added and a little it bit where? it was in a syringe and i would i would insert it in my vagina i would never ever put a testosterone in my vagina that's yeah, what well. i was saying when you yeah. say topical yeah don't say why please it is the, your the mucosa in your vagina is the most um like it is the most what's the word that it goes through flow that can flow through like the absorption is so different and dramatic in your mm. vagina. So it's the one place. It's so funny when you said, where would you put it? I would say leg is the place to put it. I would never put it on the vagina or the clitoris. I know it was a pretty small amount of testosterone mm-hmm. just to try mm-hmm. it. But I, I just remember going, okay, after about a week or so, I was like, oh, I feel very aggressive. Agitated. Yeah. Yeah. Aggressive. You're saying that it absorbs more quickly and then it, and it, and it exasperates Yes, it absorbs more quickly and unevenly. Yes, exactly. Interesting. Um, So, you know, if you're using a teeny, teeny, tiny dose because you want it specifically to go into the vagina, that's one thing. But if you're trying to put a systemic dose in somebody's, but we, I had a a client once who another gynecologist had put her on um, testosterone and had put her and had given it to her. um, So she was putting it on her vulva area and we tested her blood and her blood was like, instead of being between 50 and 100 milligrams, it was like, I don't know, a thousand or so. It was so ridiculously high. It was crazy. And I was laughing because she had said to me, you know, I don't know what's going on with me, but I'm like fantasizing about that eight-year-old guy who lives next door. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, okay, well, here, look, let's look at your little blood numbers. You know what I mean? Like, anyway, so, um, so that is where I put, and, and you could put it theoretically anywhere, um, like your shoulders, men put it on their shoulders, but, um, but if you end up with some extra hairs and, and in terms of the hair growth, I know women are always very nervous about this. When you use testosterone, you do not wake up with a beard or a mustache. It doesn't work like that, right? Like it just doesn't, you may have like one extra black hair that you have to keep prep pulling, or if you had to shave your legs X amount of time, it may be, you know, every two weeks, now you have to do it every like 12 days. That's it. And it's gradual. So you can always stop. Um, but Kim, I would say to you, maybe try again, but don't put it in your vagina and and see how you do, because it is really a base coat. And, and Kim, you didn't tell me whether you're having problems with getting turned on and having orgasms, but if desire arousal orgasm yeah. is an issue, then testosterone can be helpful. And while we're talking drugs, well, butrin can also be very helpful for hmm. orgasm. Interesting. I'm not, like, shifting directions here. Sorry. Wow. Never heard. Yeah. Never heard that before. Wellbutrin. Yeah. Yes. Wellbutrin is an antidepressant. Yeah. Um, but it's a, a dopamine agonist, and so it works on the dopamine, the pleasure centers of your brain. And for this, we had never found it to be helpful for women who never had an orgasm. Like we tried it like that would make sense. But women who used to have orgasms and they got weaker, it was like really helpful for. So, so um, interesting. you start with a very low dose. It's a very benign drug. It's yeah. not like it's very different than the other anti, um, antidepressants. Like, yeah. as, you know, effects are the ones I just said to you are being used for half flashes, totally different class. Right. Um, so um, I think I just got all sidetracked, but um, yes. Dr. Jenny, we were talking about um, another question that you wanted to ask about biometric. Is it bio? Bioidentical. Yes, bioidenticals. You want me to talk about that? I'm always sure, happy to talk about that. bioidentical. Okay, so here, again, it's in my book. But here's the deal. Everybody mixes up compounded, bioidentical, and natural. They tend to use those words completely interchangeably. 
They mean totally different things. And it's really important to understand that. Bioidentical means that the chemical compound of that drug that you're using is identical to the one that your body produces. So a bioidentical estrogen would be if you looked under a microscope, you would not be able to tell the difference between that estrogen, the, the cream that you're putting on, and the estrogen in your body, right? So that could be made by a factory. Many, many drugs that we have on the market are bioidentical. Testum is bioidentical. Esterase is bioidentical. Like there's a million, but right, Premarin is not bioidentical, okay? Yeah. So, all right. Now, what happens invariably is people say, well, why would anybody make a non-bioidentical? Like, what, why would there be an advantage to having a drug that doesn't match identically to that which is in your body? And the answer is because you can't patent it. The same way you can't patent water, right? So for a long time, manufacturers were changing the estrogen and changing the testosterone so that they could say it was better and sell it and patent it. But they realized that it was not working, not good. And so now people make the drug, it's like bioidentical, and they patent the delivery system, the way it hits you. So it could be a patch, like estrogen patches, right? Like I use an estrogen patch. Um, and it's and that is, you know, Vivelle Dot, I think, um, patented the patch. Okay. So that's what bioidentical is. And whenever you're using something, unless there's some specific reason not to, I always say go with bioidentical. Let's go with what your body makes. Now, Compounded just means it's made in a it's made in a compounding pharmacy. It's being mixed specially for you. It could be bioidentical. It could be not bioidentical. It's just being made in a compounded pharma, compounding pharmacy. And sometimes people like compounding pharmacies because they can put together a bunch of different things that they can't get from on the shelf kind of stuff that they can get with a prescription. I always like, if possible, to buy things that are FDA approved, that are in that are factory made, because it's very, 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 very regulated. And the compounding pharmacies are usually good, but they're they're human. They're very subject to human error. So, but sometimes you need something. We used to have compounding pharmacies who would mix like a bunch of things up together, like Kim was saying. Probably, I'm guessing that this the the mixture that she put in her vagina was made by a compounding pharmacy. Yes, but don't think because you're going to a compounding pharmacy you're getting like more natural ingredients. Like that is interesting. drives me nuts because that's what people think. Yeah, right? that's kind of what I thought. And none of this is natural. I don't know what natural, you know, stevia is natural, like, right? Like do you pick stevia off the tree? Like <laughs> everything is processed. Do you know what I'm saying? So like it doesn't matter if the estrogen comes from a yam or it comes from a lab. You want to see what's actually in that particular estrogen. So the word natural is just totally bogus. Does that clarify the different pieces? Yeah. I mean, it did for me. But Sheva, is there a time frame on how long you put your clients on hormones in terms of, is this, a, is this for life? Is this through the menopausal window? Um, I do know that hormones are great in terms of prevention of osteoporosis, cardiovascular health. I would assume that why give that up, but I'm curious about your opinion on that. You asked the best questions. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tell you for myself, I'm on estrogen and I will stop using them the day before I die. Okay. I will stop using my estrogen. Okay. So I don't know if that answers the question. The reality is I, with clients, I always say, let's get you on these things. Let's see how you feel. Let's When you're feeling good and you're on there for six months a year, we can start taking things away if you're, you know, if you want to. And for some people, you can lower doses and it doesn't have a dramatic effect. Sometimes like with testosterone, their libido was so low and they were like in a desert. And then 
that you got it back up again and they've started, you know, fantasizing, having sex, like some, they can lower their testosterone level or get rid of it and not feel it. And then there's so many women who like start tapering off and they're like, give it back to me. I mm. need it. Um, estrogen. I, I don't really know many women who are so quick to give up their estrogen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that answer the question? Totally. I mean, yeah. you're saying for you and I would say for, for me too, um, when I'm at that point, I plan if all goes well for lifelong hormone replacement therapy. Um, you know, when I lose, lose mine, just cause again, all the other benefits to it. Um, which, which brings me really to my next question. And Kim, this sort of pertains to you too, in terms of your cancer history, mm-hmm. which is, let me ask it this way, Batsheva. What is really the skinny on cancer and hormone replacement or cancer and hormones? I used to be able to quote this really well. Being on estrogen increases your chances of getting breast cancer less than drinking, I think, a half a glass of wine a day. Okay. Or something like that. The the advantage, right? There, it does increase it, but it is like such a tiny percentage that it is really negligible. So, um, yeah. And again, so, I'm going to refer people back to that book, Estrogen Matters, because I just feel like it, it it gives all the statistics. And it's, it, it, again, it was way overblown. People got very nervous about it. Um, it's not like there's no additional risk, but the additional risk is so tiny and slight that when you compare it to, like, it, it's like, it would be almost like you don't want to walk into a street because you want to get hit by a car. Do you know what I mean? Like you, there's always a chance when you get in the car that you're going to be in a car accident. Right. But you take a chance when you get into the car, this is like way lower than getting into a car. Yeah. Well, even my mom had said her doctors were at UCSF, you know, very, very prestigious hospital, very, she had great surgeons, great doctors. And they've even told her, Hey, look, you could get back on estrogen you know, it's, it's okay. It's not going to create a problem for you. Right. I think also sometimes doctors aren't so good at giving people like their own choices, right? Like the doctors, doctors often kind of unintentionally just see their, um, just see their own little tiny like square, right? Like they see, you know, an oncologist only sees the the, the cancer, right? Yeah. And you can't really blame them. Their job is to get rid of the cancer. Right. So if, if getting rid of your cancer, if they can get rid of your another 0.0001% of your cancer risk, why not pull it away? They don't realize it's also destroying your sex life, which may be having a problem with your marriage. So, yeah. you know, I think people have to tell people what the risk is and let people make a decision for themselves. We had a woman who was actively, um, actively um, involved in cancer treatment and she had a long conversation with her doctor because she felt like her her libido was gone and she couldn't have sex and she was really unhappy and it was really impacting her marriage and he let her get on estrogen and it was clearly the right decision for her yeah Jenny emphasized I think in the last episode we did together but I feel like it's really important which is these are all the, the sort of medical physiological pieces but it doesn't negate the work that needs to get done with the emotional piece, the emotional sort of behavioral piece of it. So like I'll often say, if you give a guy Viagra 
and he heads off to a basketball game, he's not going to get an erection, right? Like he, right? Like it allows him to get an erection, but he has to be stimulated to get the erection. So often I'll talk to physicians who say, well, I gave her testosterone, didn't really do anything. And I'll be like, well, did you also recommend that she start trying to re- wake up her erotic brain now that she can do it now that it's been watered with some testosterone so there is work to be done even if somebody gives you hormones there still is work to be done with the relationship with the way you think about sex how you use your brain but it will be so much easier than it would be without it and i just i don't want to i don't want us to leave with people feeling like you could hand them a pill so yeah it's not a it's not a magic potion Well, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a really fun conversation. Very informative, very interesting. I always learn something. I say this every time we record a podcast. I always learn something that I did not know. So that's great. Thank you so much for having me. And go take care of those hot flashes, Kim. I promise I will. And thank you for joining us. Make sure you um, follow us on uh, our YouTube channel. And you can see how many times Dr. Jenny cringes every time that lawnmower boosts a little bit louder. Oh, we're live. Oh, okay. I thought we were editing this. No, we're not live. This isn't live. But the YouTube video will be up on YouTube. So you can see that. Um, It's always fun to catch us off guard. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. And we'll see you next time on the Modern Pleasure Podcast.